keep Rayman Digital on the air by pledging to our Patreon page. Uh, your continued support allows us to continue to make great content and offer even better features in the future. Help us keep the lights on in the studio by pledging one to ten dollars a month. Go to patreon.com slash Rainman Digital to pledge. Warning from the back to tank contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. Workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a medical droid to help and heal you and I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Wars from the Back to Tank, the Bad Batch edition. I am Michael, your host as usual, and today everyone's with me, David, as well as Lauren. Hello. Hello there. Hello. All right. So today we will be discussing and breaking down episode 12 of the Bad Batch titled Rescue on Ryloth, directed by Brad Rao and written by the showrunner herself, Jennifer Corbett. So this episode had a lot of things going on. Uh, Overall, you can sum it up by saying the episode was fun because it was. It also played with some very classic Star Wars motifs, stylistic narrative choices or the use of syntax, meaning it followed a lot of the classic literary cues devised by Lucas's approach to telling a story. You had the intercuts within action sequences that aids with that building a suspense to create this massively cohesive action sequence. Yeah. And that's the vibe I got from this episode because mm-hmm. the way they separated our crew, it was just a perfect setting for that type of editing choices. I guess you can call it or writing choices. Well, for the, this episode, the way it's edited, it makes the story being told so much bigger in scale. It makes mm-hmm. it feel like a, like a huge big deal, which you have to do if you want to actually push this narrative forward that they're doing with, especially with Hera's story. I mean, just like in last episode, we pointed out that there wasn't much that they did, but what they, what, what they were able to do with the narrative was very important. And here they basically continued that trend from the last episode where it's, it's the simplicity that they handled the story, Mm -hmm. but it's also the way that they, produced it yeah made it feel so much bigger a a bigger deal yeah well you bring up Hera and if you remember that was the only I don't even want to call it a negative but I was kind of questioning what are they doing this is called the Bad Batch and probably in retrospect and yes I know this is a serial and by the very design of a serial it's all continuation but I feel like the other episode would have been the prior episode would have been that much better if it was just labeled a two-parter because suddenly Hera's inclusion makes sense. She's a character motivator. She is there to be that, that aspect that 
pushes the Bad Batch to make decisions. Yes. How long do we stand on the sidelines thinking, well, this is bigger than us. We are not really about this. We need to protect each other. How much is going to have to happen before they have to make a decision and get involved in the bigger story? Yes. And the, or the, I should say the bigger political arena of things that are happening. Yeah. The really, the really awesome part. In the ways it, of ethics. There in the way go. of That's, ethics. Yeah. But the really big point that I noticed with Hera's story hmm. was, okay, if you, if you're a Rebels fan and you've been watching all the series up to this point, the ability to actually see. Hera at this point in her life before she, we ever met her in Rebels. Or because remember, when we first saw her in Rebels, she's kind of like this mother figure that takes care of everybody. She's, she's oh, the she glue. She's no mother figure. <laughs> well, she's so the glue stupid. that that basically keeps the crew together and the ghost. Yeah. Here, this is her beginnings. This mm-hmm. is where she basically says, just like what you said, when do we have to actually step in and make the big choice? And we already know that she- She's the perfect motivator for that because yes. obviously from a very young age, mm-hmm. even when her father wasn't willing to continue to fight from a very young age, she is willing to get involved. Yes. So for her to be the motivator to signal a potential change in the way the Bad Batch, or I should say Hunter's thinking and what they are going to be doing with the rest of their lives, it makes a lot more sense now watching the second part of Hera's origins of sorts. It's it's interesting too because it's like this is the pivotal moment in Hera's life where it stopped just being about, you know, curiosity. Yeah, she was kind of stepping in and she was keeping an eye on the Imperials and all this stuff, but it was more so a, a childlike rebellion and curiosity about all of it, right? Like she's mm. just spying yeah. on stuff and she's she's playing at being um, you know, what would be a rebel in a few years time but it's like this is the moment where she realizes that okay yeah i can do all that stuff but i can actually use what i've been doing for good and i should be not just spying on them just to kind of keep tabs and play pretend and whatever but i i can do good even though i'm small i can make changes yeah yeah I mean, there's also a strong message there. Like, how young do you have to be to actually care? Yes. You know, which is part of the conversation right now uh, within our own country and whether or not we should indoctrinate, you know, or educate. Some people call it educate. Some people call it indoctrinate. Uh, So there's a lot of parallels to what's happening in our very world today, the real world, which we'll get to that a bit more a little bit later. Uh, There were also some fun parallels, uh, like Hera requesting aid. It was very reminiscent of Leia's plea for Obi-Wan's assistance in Mm -hmm. New Hope. I that was fun. I love things like that when they can play with those uh, images, you know, from past movies and make those uh, connections in the ways of, I I guess you can call it what, uh, visual metaphor, visual. I would say visual yeah. metaphor. Yeah. That's, that, that sounds right to me. Yeah. So Jennifer <laughs> Corbett, she wrote the hell out of this episode. She gave us this multi-layered story with so much going on. I couldn't help but get wrapped up in all of it. I was concerned for Hauser. I'm, of course, rooting for the Bad Batch, but I'm also sympathetic to Crosshair's plight. 
I mean, that's the dilemma yeah. we are in right now with this show. Dude, that, that we're final being segment. Pulled. We're, we're being so pulled things. in different directions. Yeah. <laughs> I am not kidding. I was on my on the edge of my seat waiting for because we knew Crosshair was up in the balcony overlooking everything. And literally his scope and mm-hmm. his sight is on Hauser. Yep. And I'm like going, oh, my God, he's going to kill Hauser <laughs> oh as God, soon I as Hauser so steps <laughs> out. And I kept thinking, this is going to be another downfall of Crosshair. Like, yeah. how do you redeem this character? But instead, they end it with Hauser making that statement to his brothers. His brothers end up, at, and you actually see that divide happen. And then you even see it in Crosshair that he starts questioning it. He doesn't. He doesn't go out and take out Hauser. Why? I, I think he's very conflicted. He's conflicted. That, that's the point. Yeah. I, and that's why I think this episode was written really well, because we can feel the conflict, the internal conflict with all of these characters. And if you're that type of writer with the ability to not just immerse, I mean, immersing us in Star Wars when you're a Star Wars fan is easy. I mean, give us some nostalgia, give us a great soundtrack, give us a Jedi, give us people we've seen, and you can bring fans in in a very superficial way. But there's so much more smart ways, clever ways to bring in an audience in general, not just a Star Wars audience. And I feel like she's really bringing us into the show in a way that we can feel everyone's conflict and we can actually um, sympathize with everyone we yeah. understand where everyone's at except for rampart oh dude, i mean he, he's the only person who's outwardly evil oh yeah yeah absolutely by this episode after the end that ending with him and crosshair when you hear that weird you know i guess you would say it's rampart's theme now because to me when you cut to him mm-hmm. overlooking the balcony and all of a sudden you hear that kind of like electro music right r- beforehand and he basically is talking to Crosshair. You automatically know, all right, Rampart's the main villain here. Well, he's taking pages from Palpatine's playbook. And and the thing that makes it even more interesting to me is like continuing that trend that I, I brought up to you and uh, you guys in the last episode about making Rampart's motivations different than Tarkin. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, you they up the ante with his hatred or dislike of a clone yeah, my only thing is this is like i know we keep comparing him with with uh, tarkin the thing with tarkin and maybe we'll get there eventually and this isn't a negative but there is a clear difference between tarkin i understand yeah. tarkin's motivation he's a man that he, he may be called evil in some circles or he could be called a man that despises chaos and he prefers order order that he can see order that he can control uh, and that's why he's a big part of the rise of the republic and going into areas before they become the empire that's why he's so involved if you read those other stories uh, when he was a part of the republic he always had this mentality of control yeah whereas rampart i'm not quite sure where he falls in line quite yet like what is his true motivation is it simply to rise in the ranks is it because he believes is he a true believer of the empire because i would say tarkin is a true believer of the empire yes i think rampart gives off that that kind of vibe similar to the general in rogue one where they're all out to basically outdo each other there's always this gambit of, oh, I have to outdo the other 
officers in the empire. Yeah. Oh, I know what you're talking ranks. Yeah, I forgot his name. I forgot his name, but it, you kind of get, especially in this episode, you kind of get the sense that Rampart really is betting all his chips on trying to prove that his con, uh, con, uh, conscripts of troops, mm-hmm. like bringing in his own troops, then using the clones, he wants to push that as his masterpiece to show to the Empire that this is my masterpiece. These clones are ineffective. I'm going to give that's you right. the proper soldiers. Yeah, see, that was his. That's. I guess you can say that's his motivation. I don't think it's a very personal motivation, but that is a. I forgot about that. That he's about proving that the clones are inefficient. Correct. Inefficient. Yeah. Yeah. And, that was that was yeah, his yeah. whole thing. He's become yeah. more confident now since you know our first time meeting him. He he yeah. feels like. It, like, it seems like he feels like he has less to prove, like he knows he's right, but he still understands that he's not as high up on the totem pole as he could be. So he's still mm-hmm. really hungry for power. Yeah. And you yeah. can see you can see that hunger, especially how he talks even to Crosshair. He talks down to the clones. Right. He like mm-hmm. re, you got to remember Crosshair. He looks at him and says, you were supposed to find Hera. What happened? Right. <laughs> and like, it, it's not like he's trying to work with Crosshair. He's trying to force Crosshair and try to tell him, you're not doing your job. Yeah. And even with his dialogue with, uh, well, this is like, Hauser, a, this is like a grand experiment for him. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. These are all characters we care about and we want to see them overcome these situations. That's why scenes or moments like you were just mentioning with Rampart and Hauser. And Crosshair, when they're all in that room and there's just silence. Yes. And there's a slight underscore that helps build the suspense because you're waiting for something to happen. Is Rampart going to kill Crosshair? Is Crosshair going to turn and kill Hauser for some reason? (laughs) You're just waiting. It's so unpredictable. You're not sure what the hell is going to happen. And uh, I love that in in a show like this they're willing to let us sit in silence even if it's for two or three seconds but think about that for a second two or three seconds of screen time is a long time for example let me prove my point here say nothing for three seconds okay okay that's a lot in a tv show it is (laughs) and do you notice that i don't know if you guys have noticed ever now going back and actually watching Rebels, I see these little little details that yeah. I'm seeing now in Bad Batch where that silence, that that overall uncomfortableness tone that you're talking about, yeah. I see that them using that a little bit back in the old Rebel days when they were dealing with the Inquisitors and uh, the the Imperial officers, especially with Tarkin, where you have like this these moments with the Empire characters. And it's always tension filled and it's uncomfortable. It's not like an action uh, tension. It's more like an uncomfortability tension that you don't know. Oh, someone's going to stab me in the back in this room. Yeah. You're not not (laughs) sure. There's an aura of, I wouldn't say mystery, but just uncertainty. Yes. Yeah. So we have a story that is very intricately intricately designed around these characters uh the whole conflict aspect as we mentioned a few moments ago and the way they're building this brother versus brother aspect there's a reason why they chose to have omega 
describe the Bad Batch as her brothers because that's the direction they're now going in the second half of the show. It feels like it's going to hurt the cutaways between the action to bring the attention uh, to Hunter's thoughts. Then they match cut that with Crosshair's thoughts, yeah. which we all know he's internally tormented. Uh, there are some mounting questions as well pertaining to Hauser that no doubt Hunter is feeling. I'm fairly certain that's why we've not gotten those answers yet. The writers are probably trying to firmly place us within Hunter's perspective. It's obvious he has questions about Hauser's inhibitor because of the way he looked at him before he left. Yeah. Uh, but possibly the writers were trying to convey he knew the timing wasn't right to ask him about this because obviously that's a thing. The writers have made it a point to, uh, to say the inhibitor chip is a thing and for Hauser to not be affected, there's a reason why they're letting us hang for a bit. Yeah. And I have a, I have a slight theory why that might be. Oh, a slight theory. Slight theory. (laughs) The reason why Hauser's inhibitor chip is not affected Mm -hmm. is solely because order 66 was targeted on Jedi's. I dude, I disagree. Because, like, the thing was, there's no Jedis around Hauser and around Ryloth. It's not about Jedi. It's about but it, complete but it was, and though. utter. You I mean, like, just a- as far as as far as what he's saying. Yeah. Like what he's referring to. They were just ordered to turn on the Jedi. Um, yeah, that that was remember, Order 66. That was when everyone changed. OK. Execute Order 66. Yes. Is about the killing of the Jedi, but it's also about orders being followed. That's why they keep saying good soldiers follow, follow orders. orders. It's a form of brainwashing to where they're not asking any questions. Yeah, so yeah. The, the, these are all good. I mean, when you put it that way, David and Lauren, then absolutely I could see where that could be a thing, but that's, that's something that's going to need to be fleshed out then. Cause we're going to yes. need to fully understand that because the way I've always viewed execute order six, six was it was a, it was a, a call or a rally call to obeying the chancellor that he is where you place your loyalty, yeah. yes. no matter what he orders you to do. And at this moment it's get rid of the Jedi. So that could be it, but we've also seen how, they act a lot different uh, with the with this new execute order six six. So yes. I think I think a, lo- a lot of the issue too though is that they like the clones didn't have a reason to think that the Republic was doing anything wrong or immoral. Like they were soldiers and they followed orders, and a lot of them were just kind of like, yeah, this is this is what we do. Like they don't have a lot of knowledge of the workings of things, especially if they're like lower level soldiers. They know what they're experiencing, you know, whatever planet they're stationed on and stuff like that. But I think a lot of them, they're just like, no, this is for the greater good. Oh, someone betrayed someone. Okay, yeah, then we got to take care of it. (laughs) But Hauser, for instance, in this situation was the one that saw that that's not what happened. And there was a lie there. So he was able to say, hey, squad, this isn't right. You got to think about it. And they, for the first time, actually kind of considered that, oh, yeah, what we're doing might be wrong. Right. So what happens then if a Jedi enters the equation all of a sudden and does he all of a sudden decide to shoot everyone because the Jedi triggered something? Because, I mean, listen, the way you guys are explaining it, then that absolutely could happen. And that's why we need that clarification. And we need that clarification. We can't be ambiguous anymore. Like it, the ambiguity, the ambiguity of the inhibitor chip has always worked. 
But now that they're actually going into it, it no longer works. They're going to have to actually explain the nuances of this chip. Especially since they've been so subtle with explaining what the troops go through with that inhibitor chip activated, especially with Mm -hmm. the story of Wrecker, where Wrecker's with Omega and he tells her that I knew what I was doing, but I didn't, I didn't stop myself. Right. And it's different. But that's the thing. Omega wasn't a Jedi. Why did he want to kill her? That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah. It's there's questions. I think that much, that much is clear. There's questions. And listen, you guys aren't alone. There was a listener that uh, posted in the discord and asked, is the bad batch, you know, is the reason why captain Hauser isn't being affected is possibly, is there, is it due to the fact that there are no Jedi? around him and maybe he didn't even receive the order 666 that's what i was so it thinking. seems like there are people that are following that line of reasoning so we'll see right yeah but that but that means if we're gonna see them mike that means that they have to introduce another jedi though and that's something that me and you have been going back and forth about why that you, you th- why so you, that we can see the so we the, could see what the inhibitor chip does i don't think they have to introduce a new one they could run across, you know, Kanan again as he's right. trying to escape and say, Or Hunter you know. can just pull out a lightsaber and be like, Let, let's test this out really <laughs> this fast. This out really fast. All right, crazy. Not crazy. Crazy, <laughs> not, not crazy. crazy. <laughs> just keeps igniting it and turning it off and, <laughs> and fucking with Hauser. That'd be so messed up. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, so I was kind of going with the line of thinking that it may have more to do with similar things uh, as uh, what happened with wrecker you know the fact that you know wrecker you know knocked himself a couple times and then it affected him (laughs) him, i don't know is the inhibitor chip just does it not work all the time is is it a possibility of being defective i mean when you have clones coming outside the assembly line like product i mean just like a television there may be a television that might be broken internally defective Defective? Is this what's happening? Is the inhibitor, inhibitor chips not necessarily working on all of them? Is there a bigger meaning pertaining to personal ideology and the mental strength of I a honestly, clone? I, I, I mean, honestly thought that they were going to do go through that route, especially when that one episode in the past where um, Crosshair got essentially blown up when he when they they turned on the uh star destroyer on him and his entire squad just went flying right i literally thought okay this is where they're going to explain the inhibitor chip being damaged yeah but they haven't gone there maybe they'll show us a flashback where cham like knocked out hauser for being an idiot one time and just kind of (laughs) you know discombobulated the uh, karate chop on the back of the head yeah if this was written by the uh resistance writers that's what they would have done (laughs) yes 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 it would so stupid but whatever is happening, I think we might be going toward a direction I didn't expect. And tell me if you agree or disagree. Are we going to see a kind of civil war amongst the clones? Is this one of the elements that plays in their demise and removal from the story, essentially? And at some level, not just from the Imperial angle, for the story angle, but also from the galactic equation. Is this how suddenly there are no clones? Do they kill each other off? Are they murdered? Whatever the case 
is, I I get the feeling that that's exactly what they're doing. They're moving us into uh, a, a storyline that's going to see clone versus clone. That would be really dark. That would be really, really dark. But I mean... Yeah, I could I could see that. The only look at look at the what they did to in this episode. Like the fact that Hauser drew a line in the sand and said who's with me and only a select few joined him and the other few arrested them. Yeah. They're definitely playing with that and it would help with the whole idea of what happened to the clones in the course of 20 years. Well, yeah, because like you have to under you we have to understand why the clones suddenly just disappeared. I mean, yeah, me and you make jokes about how Rex goes off to Jupa land. Right. <laughs> but and, and also we know that they were assimilated into the conscripted ranks. Yes. For some time. But the 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 thing is there has to be a reason why all the clones just dispersed all at once and right. having like a civil war type story going on would be cool i uh, i could see is there some room characters? for it though that's, exactly that's, that's the, the only problem because I don't, I don't see them doing doing such a, a big scale mm-hmm. especially when a lot of us are hoping by the end of the season crosshair is back with the bad batch right now i'm not saying we're gonna get into this giant galactic civil war but there could be skirmishes and we could see you know a direction that could possibly be where they go. So I don't know. I mean, it would be a timely story, uh, divisions within culture. I mean, the current oh, yeah. American culture war, uh, there's definitely a philosophical element at play, whether regardless of what direction they go, because there's questions being posed about the ethics of war. Do you blindly follow orders in order to maintain the status quo or do you fight against indoctrination because that at the core of what's happening with the inhibitor chip that is without a doubt the story or the message if you really dissect what jennifer corbett and feloni are trying to say that is what they're saying that is the through line yes and you know what's really impressive to me this isn't just Dave Filoni's story, this has now become Jennifer Corbett's story, which I'm really impressed with. Well, there's a different flair to it. It's a different flair, yeah. but it's much better, it's it's better put together. Oh, simmer down, David. <laughs> well, Firing shots. I'm going to fire shots because, hey, the, the one last person that we thought, hey, he's going to carry that mantle with Dave Filoni, he gave us sandwiches for trade. Uh, so, oh, <laughs> I, I don't want to, I don't want to curse Jennifer Corbett, but like, She's on she's on track to being really regarded really well in regards to being a showrunner for a Star Wars series. I won't disagree with that. I do feel like it's taken time to see her her differences in the way she writes a story. Uh, there are familiar notes, which would make sense since she is a protege of Filoni. It's no different than having similar notes in Filoni's work that feels very fam- uh, familiar to Lucas because... Yeah. Baloney was, you know, taught up, taught up. Is that even a word? No. <laughs> no. He was educated oh. <laughs> in the ways of, of Lucas's, you know, style of writing and the way he views story and narrative. So obviously there'll be those familiar, you know, notes. But at the same time, you're right, David. You're not wrong that there is definitely a distinction in style. Uh, she is finding her, herself within this series yeah much and faster. I, I like that because like that. we need people to take what they learned and expand it on it otherwise we just have a bunch of writers who write in very similar fashions and we don't get uh, originality yeah so 
Yeah, there's also more questions connected to Hunter and Clone Force 99 and how long do you evade getting involved until you are considered to be complicit? I thought I thought Omega's line was just like beautiful in its simplicity. Like wh- why mm-hmm. not? Isn't that what soldiers do? Yep. Yeah. And it was like it, it was interesting because I hate to say it, I I know majority of people will side with Omega, but I also see Hunter's side is where, well, what do you expect us to do? There's only like four of us versus an entire empire. Well, (laughs) Hunter, I think we can see it from Hunter's perspective, but also understand the bigger message. Hunter is looking at it from a more uh, closed ended way, meaning he's he feels responsible for those people, the five people that are in his care. That's his purpose. But then when you're presented with a a bigger question pertaining to you know morality do i get involved if i have the ability to help these people should i just focus on the people i care about or should i actually care about everyone i mean isn't that what what star wars is about in a lot of ways it is about helping and assisting and taking a part in in the the righteous direction righteous sounds very uh puritan ish but you know what i mean like yeah righteous decisions morally i mean that's the whole story pertaining to the jedi how much do we do and how much do we not do before it's crossing the line this is becoming one of the like maybe i agree with you david maybe i do this is becoming one of the smartest star wars stories we've ever been given and i'm not being hyperbolic without getting overly serious i i do want to say that this is important content that allows the otherwise layperson to experience true to life his historical tyranny through a lens of fiction. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows that Hitler was a bad guy, right? That's a given, but yes. what many to this day don't understand because you see these questions all the time being posed on social media and chat forums is how Hitler rose to power and how he managed to indoctrinate large populations of the world. Well, here you go. Star Wars has been doing it since 1999 with the premiere of Phantom Menace. And in the same vein, we have the Bad Batch bringing a bit more nuance. Just like Palpatine conspired to make it look like the Jedi were trying to seize power and Rampart killing the senator and making it look like it was Sandula. The Nazis seized absolute power after an arson attack on the German parliament, which was later revealed to be potentially a part of a plot by hmm. one of Hitler's right-hand men to justify their grab for control. Yeah. So not only is this just important to remember how tyranny can seize control, uh, you know, a, a duplicitous manner, but also it grounds the show in a form of reality and it educates on how tyrannical people can gain the upper hand. Well, dude, an example of that was like that scene with Rampart and Hauser where Hauser is telling where, where Rampart tells Hauser that, Oh, have them all arrested because for the assassination of your Senator. And then Hauser says, well, sir, you do know that that's not how that went. I know that he wasn't assassinated. And all of a sudden he goes, can you prove it? Yeah. And then Hauser's like, um, no, I can't. Yeah, but the point is that he does it. He knows for a fact it wasn't. It was connected to Sandula. Yeah, that much he knew, and that just shows the the power of the 
tyrannical methods of the empire. Now, will you know? he have that type of logic or deductive reasoning when uh, a lightsaber is ignited? <laughs> the more you say that, I'm like going, ah, as much as I want to actually connect it, it does sound ridiculous, but that's the only logical thing you could think of is because yeah. the Order well, yeah, 66 was, was centered right around the destruction of the Jedi. Right. So... I mean, it's logical to get to that conclusion. I'm not saying it's not, but... But when you think it out loud, yeah, kind of is a little ridiculous. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'm good either way. Whatever they end up doing, I'm sure it'll be just fine how they do it. Now, if this was handled by a shitty writer, then I'd be worried. But the fact that this is being handled by capable writers, I am not concerned. I mean, it is fantastic what they're doing with this series, and I don't want to get overly negative here, but it does piss me off when you um, when you uh, <laughs> look at the uh, sequel trilogy. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 a sore point, isn't it? It just I, there are things I like about the sequel trilogy, without a doubt. But oh, yeah. when you compare it to every other iteration of Star Wars, it is the most superficial of all of star Wars and it should have mm-hmm. been the most awesomeness. Well, if you look at the, the, the parallel between the two, I mean, you have the sequel trilogy, which was superficial, but it was flashy. You had really w- out there. Awesome moments, right? Wait, what but, was superficial? The sequel trilogy. Oh yeah. Yeah. But like when you get to stories like what we're getting in the clone wars, the final season and bad batch, you have more simplistic, more, there, there's more in the details and right. it's not as superficial. There's so much going on. Yeah. And I know some people may say, well, you're dealing with a series, but the series could not have been this good, whether it be Clone Wars or, or the Bad Batch. If the groundwork wasn't laid out in the prequel series, which it was, or the prequel trilogy, which it was. It was there. It was intricate. It was not superficial. You could see Palpatine's, you know, rise to power and understand it. It's not, it's not superficial. It's, it's actually pretty complicated when you look at the, the multi-layered plan of his, um, of his intentions and how he got there. And all of this is just an expansion of that. Whereas the prequel trilogy or the sequel trilogy just kind of dropped the ball in almost every single way. The greatest achievement that you can probably gravitate to when it comes to the sequel trilogy is the nuanced character study of Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren. But yeah. other than him. And he's your villain. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Was he though, really? Well, I mean, was he really he the was, villain? He was because the starting villain. He was more of an obstacle. An obstacle. I'll call him an obstacle. I mean, it, that's what, another thing I get frustrated, because who was the fucking villain in the sequel trilogy? Do we have one? <laughs> Don't, that, that's a that's a show yeah. that's a topic that's a for the show. show oh my god dude that's a topic for a whole different show yeah so there are cool things in the sequel trilogy but when you look at everything else that came before chronologically i mean i understand why star wars fans get annoyed with it yeah well i'm I mean, annoyed just like thinking right now about the sequel <laughs> trilogy like there's so many good little things but there's so many things that they just dropped the ball on they just didn't flesh out so many things they they offered up like "Ooh, look at this nice new cast of characters don't they seem cool and deep and interesting with lots of stuff going on 
And then they just changed directions two different times. And any time they had any courage and took any sort of a chance on a character. Uh, oh, no, no, never mind. Never mind. I think we upset too many people. And no, that's OK. Yeah. We're just going to go back and, and retcon that. And then like Kylo Ren had. Yeah. Great character development was easily my favorite character in that trilogy. And. By the end of it, you know, he he gets through his character arc and then they even they even like <laughs> they, even, they even ruined the character arc in the end. Well, I think I think it's it's garbage to assume that any sort of um, respect or like friendship or kinship or intimacy or anything like that between two characters that are male and female, the to to need them to have a romantic situation is frustrating because yeah. there was like nothing actually building. There was tension for sure. But like, I don't know. I would have, I would have done things differently, but that's not well, my job. <laughs> absolutely. I think most of us would. Well, it just, comes I mean, down. you want to get even more mad. Why does a uh, Ray have a, a British accent when she's uh, <laughs> the daughter of a clone that doesn't have one? Yes. <laughs> And she lives in the desert with people that don't have an accent as well. Uh, but the reason why she had an accent, if you want to go back to the original concept, was because she was related to Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan. originally. Yes. And the whole fucking thing makes me angry. And th- that's that's the thing. All the problems that every one of us have is zeroed in on the writing. Yeah. It's the lack but of continuity. Yes. There's no cohesiveness at all. It's just... But when yeah. you see what Filoni was is able to do with his crew, even even with you know, I will say even Mandalorian, mm-hmm. Mandalorian was written to some degree really well, even better than the sequel trilogy. At least there's continuity. There's continuity, there. and there's uh, there's deductive reasoning when it comes to motivation and character. It's a little superficial, but it's it works. It's the design of the show. It's it, the design it, of the show. I get it. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I, and to bring it back to this show and Dave Filoni and Jennifer Corbett, do you think, do you think, with the uh, with the the level of talent that Filoni and his proteges have, do you feel like they can repair the sequel trilogy? Not saying redo it. I know there's a bunch of stupid rumors and articles out there that say, oh, they're going to find a way to reboot it. Do you remember in Rebels when they did time travel? I mean, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, that's never going to happen. Sorry. <laughs> I think too much but, money. <laughs> but do you think they can create an animation or a series that does, in fact, create a sense of continuity? I, I think they can. The only question is, will they be given the chance? Because individually, the movies will always fail, just critically, yeah, in my critically. opinion, because of that lack of continuity. But in the ways of the bigger story and the evolving story of Star Wars, exactly. do you feel like they can fill in the gaps and create that that cohesiveness? If if they're given the leeway that they should, mm-hmm. then yes. We everyone for the past decade has been saying, "In Filoni, we trust. Give him the reins. Let him run. He can do this." And he can fix things. <laughs> he, he's the fix it. Man. He's the fix it man. And but when it comes down to it, is will they give him that leeway? Right. The only time they've uh, the, the, 
it it boggles my mind that basically Mandalorian, everyone pointed out that they let they brought in John Favreau because that was the big name. That was the guy that had the idea and everything else. But mm-hmm. then they had to bring in Filoni to be the fix it man. Well, <laughs> they they also promoted Filoni this year, like two yeah. months ago, almost to the day. Um, yeah. They promoted him to what is it like uh, executive producer of ex- executive development creative, or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And like, if they if they give him the leeway, I do think that he can take things out of the sequel trilogy, and not like what you said. My uh, like, I agree with you. Not fix it, but make it more substantial. Just give us more. Give I, us more because ultimately, that's really what it comes down to. It just feels like there's a disconnect from movie to movie. Because there is, but uh, it'd be nice maybe in 15 years we can look back at least as Star Wars fans, because as movie fans who watch movies, I feel like they're always going to have those problems. But Star Wars fans who ultimately this is what is who it's for. Maybe they can fix it through other media, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, All right. So let's get into our final thoughts. I'm I'm just going to say 90 percent. I'm going to keep it simple. Uh, Lauren. That's honestly, that is what I was going to say. I'm going to give it a 90%. I think it was, it was solid. We have a lot of things going on and we're clearly going into that final arc. uh, And the, the hunt is on for crosshair. Yeah. Yep. All right, Dave. I am actually going to make this three for three. I have it actually written down here. 90%. All right. And I thought it was a really strong episode. I think that I'm more comfortable now with Jennifer Corbett behind the scenes than ever. Yeah. Like I honestly feel I had my questions of Justin Ridge a long time ago. We have doubts because we had doubts. Yeah. But with Jennifer Corbett, I can see that she has her story that she wants to write. Well, she's a better writer, period. And when you have a good because they don't the two things aren't synonymous. Like you can be a good showrunner and not be a good writer, but you can be a good leader. You can be a good story person. I feel like that's Lucas in a lot of ways, a fantastic showrunner of an overall property. Amazing. Not the best writer, but his ideas are amazing. Baloney is a good writer and a showrunner. Justin Ridge was a decent showrunner, but not a great writer. And Corbett feels like she is both a good showrunner and she's a capable Writer. If you look at the episodes she has written, which I believe it's three official episodes that she has written this season, they're all very complicated, multi-layered, multi-layered episodes. So she's good. So ninety percent across the board. Yep. All right. Well, this does bring us to the end of our discussion. I want to remind people to be sure and find us on iTunes and give us those five star reviews. We do need those. It does help us cut through the noise. Over the course of the last, I don't know, year and a half because of COVID, we have actually slipped further in those algorithms because the rise of celebrity podcasts, unfortunately, they are the ones who take up those algorithms and it's harder for us to be spotted on those feeds. But if you, the listeners, give us reviews and you share the links, it does, in fact, help us pop up. So please do it iTunes, also patreon.com slash Rayman Digital Pledge, $5 or more a month, and gain access to additional Star Wars discussions every single month. Thank you, David. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you. May the Force be with us. Ah, yes. <laughs>